All right, let's go into the next patient. So this is a 62-year-old who was originally seen about four years ago. She had experienced seven to eight months of intermittent rectal bleeding. In August of 06, she had a colonoscopy. There was a rectal lesion on biopsy. This was an adenocarcinoma. This was about five to seven centimeters from the anal verge. Transrectal ultrasound was performed, and the finding was uh, consistent with a tumor that was T3N0. On CAT scan obtained at that time, there was a questionable abnormality in the medial segment of the left lobe of the liver. The patient was seen in surgical consultation, and she had a PET scan obtained, which showed no evidence of abnormality other than in the rectal area and in this liver lesion. A biopsy was obtained of the liver lesion, and that did not reveal any malignancy. What did it? Did it show anything? It just showed some inflammatory cells. There was some suggestion, but it was an inconclusive biopsy. At that point, I spoke to the surgeon, and we decided to proceed with treating the primary lesion. The patient received capecitabine radiation therapy. She went on to have a surgical resection of the rectal lesion, and at the time of that surgery, was no abnormality noted in the liver. Postoperatively, the patient was treated initially with Folfox and then transitioned to Zelox. She had a lot of difficulty having the pump. She found it very cumbersome. So just going back to that initial decision to use neoadjuvant therapy, Charlie, she was T3N0 with this question mark in the liver. What about just going right to surgery? Well, I think you could. I like the idea of neoadjuvant therapy just because, in general, I think it's better tolerated given preoperatively. Moreover, it also allows you the opportunity to follow that lesion a little longer before taking her to the OR. So I think the idea here of giving her neoadjuvant therapy is worthwhile. Now, it's interesting that at the time of surgery, it couldn't be located. I guess it speaks to the possibility that this thing was fairly sensitive to fluoroperimidines. So what about the primary lesion at surgery? Was it a path CR or there was tumor still there? There was minimal tumor still there. So the patient did go on to adjuvant therapy. So what was the next step? So she received her adjuvant therapy, then she was on the course of observation. Her CEA rose, she was coming in for a routine visit, it was about a year and a half, almost two years later, she was coming in, her CEA had risen from 1.4 to 60, just over several months. And at that point, we looked at her liver again, and she had evidence of the isolated left lobe lesion that we had been suspicious of initially. She had negative colonoscopy, and she went on to have a resection of the liver lesion, and subsequently was treated with chemotherapy post-resection. So what about her KRAS status? Initially, her KRAS status I did not have, and had subsequently, when we were going to start her on treatment, it actually became an interesting conversation, and she had been overwhelmed by her original chemotherapy, and I ended up giving her just 5-FU and arinotecan with no bevacizumab or cetuximab. So what about this approach here, Charlie? First of all, this lady went right to having the hepatic lesion resected. Another alternative would be to give neoadjuvant therapy. There's a lot of controversy about that. What about the decision here? I don't think there's a right answer. This is certainly a circumstance where I think it's reasonable to pursue upfront surgery. The ERTC study, as you know, looked at the idea of giving both pre- and post-operative chemotherapy and suggested a trend towards a benefit. But in somebody with a single isolated lesion that is easily surgically resected, I don't think it's unreasonable to do that surgery and then pursue post-operative therapy. I'm sorry, Phil. What did you just say the KRAS status was again? 
That was negative, as far as I can recall, Neil. Okay, so she was K. Ross Wild on the recurrence. I do not have that recurrence right now, mainly because, actually, it's interesting you're bringing that up because I noticed that the last time I saw her in the clinic that I didn't have her KRAS result. She was obviously done her treatment, and I had written for that and hadn't gotten it back yet. But admittedly, in April of 2008, you know, it hadn't completely fallen into mainstream. My recollection is it was ASCO 08 right. when we really heard all the compendium of studies speaking to KRAS status. Well, also, I'm not sure it would have changed this particular decision. Would you have considered an EGFR antibody in this situation? Or obviously, you were hoping to give bevacizumab, but the patient didn't want to receive it. What about biologics in this situation, Charlie? You know, I think that either one would have been reasonable if we were seeing the patient today. There's no wrong answer. The data suggests that you can safely give either Bev or alternatively cetuximab or, for that matter, panitumumab prior to resection. Whether it offers a genuine benefit is uncertain because at least the limited randomized trials haven't really looked at biologics in this setting. Now, this lady, you chose to switch to Arena TCAN. How did she do on the full Fox and the Xaliplatin, and what was your thinking in moving to Arena TCAN? She had a lot of difficulties with neuropathy, and she still has some lingering symptoms. It's interesting to see her now. She's in very good spirit. She's very encouraged by the way things are going. She's encouraged by the fact that she just had a negative CAT scan. Her CEA is fine. But it was a long, emotionally stressful haul for her. So even though she had appeared to have improvement with the initial treatment with capecitabine, she had a very good response. I was very apprehensive about the idea of giving her any more oxaliplatin given her symptoms of neuropathy. What was your impression, Charlie, meeting her today? She actually seems quite well. She got her CAT scan result today, which I guess is now almost two years out from her liver resection, which shows that she has no evidence of recurrence. So she was in good spirits, very pleased and grateful for the results of today's CAT scan, and I think at the moment feeling like she dodged a bullet. If she were to ask you now, what's the chance that I might still have recurrent disease, what number would you give her? Well, as you know, with an isolated liver met, you're talking about long-term survivals with resection that you know are in the range of 40%, sometimes in selected series, 50%. Presumably, she's right now in or around the peak time where recurrences would occur. So I wouldn't necessarily change that estimate, but hopefully from henceforth, as time continues to move on, that likelihood of recurrence will diminish. Any sense, Phil, about how this experience has affected her and her family? So that's a very interesting question because this was a huge strain on her marriage. She was just emotionally distraught through most of her chemotherapy. She was a nervous wreck. And as she's gotten better, her husband is with her at each visit now. He's clearly much more relaxed than he was. She's infinitely more relaxed than she had been. And there were several very tearful office visits when she was going through treatment. And was the husband there today? He was there today. Any thoughts about him and their relationship, Charlie? He seemed very supportive. In fact, he really embraced her when Phil shared the results of the CAT scan. He's obviously very invested. You know, you do get the sense that even today where she was in good spirits, that this had been a very difficult time for her, but she seems to be overcoming that. I mean, she relates some issues in terms of bowel issues related to her ostomy and her prior APR, but, you know, emotionally she seems to be moving on. So, Phil, about how often, about how many times a year do you encounter a patient with hepatic-only mets with colorectal cancer, and 
What's in your practice and your surgeon's interest in terms of this issue of pre-op therapy or not? Well, I think it's probably a couple times a year anyways, and it really comes down to some individual planning. I mean, I think that with an asymptomatic primary still in place, I'm pretty comfortable giving chemotherapy. I'm very comfortable with that. So I certainly don't have any trouble giving somebody preoperative chemotherapy. Anything else either of you want to say about this patient? No, I mean, the only thing that we haven't talked about are the theoretical concerns, Neil, as you know, about giving chemotherapy before hepatic resection because of the steatohepatitis, the sinusoidal effects on the liver, and some people, some surgeons, concerned about giving preoperative therapy. But for the most part, I'd say, although you can define that, and you definitely see it pathologically, and I think our surgeons, they certainly can tell you when they go in who's been given preoperative therapy and who hasn't. The patients do seem to manage to get through it. I mean, that is to say the surgical morbidity and mortality is not significantly increased as a result. There was also, as you may recall, a study looking at what arena-tecan as opposed to oxaliplatin can do with respect to steatohepatitis. And although there was a notion that arena-tecan causes a higher rate of steatohepatitis, it's not clear that it increases surgical mortality.